Good morning, church. It is good to see you today. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Justin. I'm the pastor here and uh, excited to jump into the word. We're going through a series on the book of Luke. And right now we're looking at Jesus's last moments of ministry before he comes to the cross. Uh, and so the series, the title of the series is called The Road to Jerusalem. And um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 12 today, have a fun topic. I remember one time, uh, for those of you that don't know, I was playing, we, we, I had some college, college-aged kids over the house this week, and we were playing Two Truths and a Lie. And uh, one of my truths was I lived in Ohio for a year, uh, and every, most of them guessed that that was the lie. It was a good one. Uh, and when I was in Ohio, I was in Bible school, and uh, my uncle, I was pastor of the church, who's now with the Lord, uh, was leading the Bible school. And one of our classes, we all had to sing a worship song. Now, you got to imagine, I can't sing. Uh, most of the guys in that Bible school could not sing. I was 18. Everybody else is 18, 19, 20. Uh, and so he gives us a song that all of us have to sing. Now, in our class... One of the guys is one of the worship leaders, and, one of those, and another guy was just one of those guys that was on the choir his whole life. Um, and so one by one, we're going up, and everybody's taking a turn to sing, and, and I am just head down in my lap in tears, laughing at each and every one of my friends that are trying to sing a note until it's my turn. Those tears turn uh, from joy to fear. Uh, and then I get up and I sing and it's just as bad as I thought and everybody else thought and they're crying, laughing as well. And the, the guy in the choir gets up and sings and, you know, uh, he, he puts his, his finger to his ear to try to catch that note. Didn't catch all of them, you know. In the choir, you know, generally it's okay if you don't catch all of them because you got a hundred other people singing with you. Uh, but he sings and then, you know, the worship leader gets up, just, he just goes up there he murders the performance. It was, it was great. And so then at the end, we did this really emotionally healthy thing, and we voted for who we thought was the best singer. <laughs> and so my uncle gets all the votes, and he tallies them in front of us, you know, and he starts reading, and, and everybody is picking uh, the worship leader, uh, the one who sang really well. And he puts, that, he puts it all down, and he says, you all are wrong. He says, he names the guy, he says, you, you sang in your flesh the whole time. You gave a great performance. Now, for those of you that don't know what the flesh is, it's the sinful nature in scripture. So it is the biggest diss that you can tell somebody uh, after they just went up there and did something. And he said, the only one that had any anointing on him was this other guy. Uh, and he was the one that was in the choir. We all just sat there for a second and realized what the point of the lesson was. That um, what we had thought was the best was the best performance. But truly what was the best was the one who put their heart on the line to worship God. And that was true worship and what my uncle was looking for. He wasn't looking for who had the best voice. He was looking for who would worship and not worry about the performance. Uh, and that is just one aspect of essentially what we were called is what Jesus calls people today in this passage is fools. That the wisdom of the world does not always line up 
with the wisdom of God. And we've seen that over and over and over again in the book of Luke. But what anybody would have naturally, we're so used to American Idol, we're so used to X Factor and all these other game shows that we thought, yeah, this is the right way to do it. This is the logical way to do it. But in the world of God, oftentimes the logical thing is the way of the fool and the illogical thing is the way of wisdom. And today we're going to get into a story, a parable from Jesus that goes against all logic but teaches an incredibly important spiritual lesson that all of us must understand and know. We're going to be reading from Luke chapter 12, verse 13 to 21. You can read with me, I believe, on the screen or your phone or wherever you have your Bible. You can read, I think, the King James Version if you are up in the front. Uh, it says, someone in the crowd, right? It's the only real version of the Bible. <laughs> someone in the crowd said to him, teacher... Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetedness or greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. There I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. The word of the Lord. Amen. Church, the first thing that we have to see today that Jesus is teaching is that Jesus says we have to actively guard against covetousness or greed. And what that means is that greed is a constant trap that is easy to fall into. I'm convinced that coveting is so rampant in the church today that we don't even realize it's a sin anymore. Coveting, the definition of it, is desiring something someone else has. This is the definition of social media. Right? All we do is we consume, and we consume and advertisements, products, placement in every movie and every TV show we watch and almost every reel that we scroll through. The hope and the purpose of these things is to cause us to covet, to desire something that is someone else's that we do not have and to create want in us. A job, a spouse, a friend, a sneaker, a paycheck. Everywhere we look around us, everywhere we go, we are filled with an economy of greed, an economy based off coveting. 
that the next company down the line knows that if their marketing scheme creates more coveting desire in you than the next one, then they will get you to desire and to want what you do not have and to open up your paycheck, your pocketbook, or your bank account to buy from them. And if this is unchecked, coveting will eventually run how we spend our money, how we use our money, how we spend our paycheck. It will be all about I want, I want security, I want more, I want the hottest new trend, I want to look like that, I want to live like that, I want to have someone in my life like that, I want the latest drops, I want the newest clothes, I want the hottest stocks. The economy of coveting oftentimes becomes the economy of our heart. How will we spend our next dollar? What are we saving towards or what are we getting into debt because of? Because of the things that we want, the things that we desire, the things that we do not have. Today, many of us may have woke up feeling real nice and the scripture chose violence towards our heart. <laughs> I love the sermons where I'm speaking and it is dead silent in the room. <laughs> but the thing that we have to understand here is that greed and coveting is one of the assassination tools of the enemy to derail our walk with God without us ever figuring it out. Over and over and over again, the tool of coveting is the tool the enemy knows that he can find a window into our heart because it is so normal in our culture and it is so normal in the church that we many times do not even find anything wrong with it. And the reason why we can't ever talk about money in the church is because so many churches and pastors have lived into this world of coveting and greed where you look on social media and you see the pastor with his latest fit and his new preachers and sneakers line, right? And you see the pastor getting into his Lamborghini and you see the pastor with his new mansion and his new this and their new that. And then people say, well, I don't trust the church, and they can't ever talk about money. But then you got the Western world, American society, which is not as good, is just as bad, and many times even worse. Where the average American is in $20,000 of credit card debt, yet we are in the top 5% richest people in the world. No matter what your poverty situation looks like, looks like in America. Poverty in America often is riches among the world. And so the enemy uses this to come to alter the path of our heart, to get our eyes to look to the left or to the right, to take our gaze off of Jesus and to look elsewhere to the things that I want instead of the one who has already provided all that I need. And Jesus' parable gets at the heart of coveting and how it begins because greed often starts with taking the blessing of God as an earned reward. See, the farmer here, he has a great crop one year and he reaps all of his crops and he realizes I don't have enough room for everything to store in here. 
But when we read his story, he says this, my crops, my barns, my grain, my goods, and my soul. This is the trap that many of us fall into when we look around at what we have. We look at mine, 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 and mine. But we have to ask the question that the scriptures often ask, who gives the rain? Who provides the increase? Who has authority over the soul? See, it's an easy trap to fall into to think everything that we have is because of my hands. And I love this example of the bodybuilder. That let's say you, a bodybuilder goes to the gym and they work out every single day and they build these muscles. And so because of those muscles, they get into a bodybuilding competition and then they win that bodybuilding competition. It is great, it is easy to say, and if you ask that bodybuilder, well, how'd you do that? Because of my discipline, because of my hard work in the gym, because of my diet, because of the things I chose not to eat and the things I chose to eat. And all of us would sit there, nod and agree, yes. That person worked very hard. They did a lot and they deserve it. I can take credit for my actions. This is a trap. See, biblical theology says, who gave you strength to work out and train in the first place? Who gave you breath in your lungs to wake up in the morning? Who gave you rest at night and peace of mind in order to go and work out? See, biblical theology looks to God and realizes that everything that I have in my life, even if I can point to a timeline of how I got there with my intelligence, my hard work, my character, and I will point to all those things and say, all good things come from above. In James, it says that. And if I start to see anything in my life as earned reward, I will start to see it all as mine. And if we see it as ours, what will happen is we will think we can do what we want with it. And therein lies the trap of greed. See, the thing is, worldly best practices are often opposite to godly best practices. See this guy, this rich guy that has a great yield and a great crop? He does and goes and does what any prudent person would have done in his situation, in this scenario. He looks at his barns and he looks at his storage facilities and he says, well, this is not enough. I need more room. I don't have capacity. And so he builds a bigger storehouse. He builds a bigger barn. He builds a bigger place to fit everything he has. In the corporate world, if you have a warehouse and the demand is 10,000, but at this warehouse, you can only produce 1,000, what do you do? You build a warehouse that can produce 10,000 to accompany the demand. This is logic. This is prudence on the man who has this farm. Yet God calls him a fool. This should be shocking to us. Imagine for a second that you win one of these Powerball lotteries. Let's say you win a billion dollars. The government says, thank you for my 600 million. <laughs> then you have 400 million to spend. What do you do? We've all had this scenario. 99.99999% of us would go and have some words with our boss. 
shoot off some emails, and say peace. <laughs> Go buy an island somewhere, retire, depending on whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, inviting some friends and some family to live with you. For me, I would still have to interview my family and be like, Heather, let's see if you're gonna come to this island with me. <laughs> I won this lottery. <laughs> That's my name on that ticket. <laughs> Send you some good alimony checks in the mail. <laughs> She's in the, in, the, in the basement today, so. I'm banking on the fact she ain't gonna listen to my sermon during the week. <laughs> And we would have our early retirement, maybe put some money in some investments, hire somebody that's going to, a financial planner that's going to set us up for the rest of our life. That would be the prudent thing to do. That is the thing, exactly the thing that most of us dream about every day, what this farmer got to do. He made enough to retire early and never have a care or a worry in his life again. And he set up his finances so that that would be the case for him. Now, I want you to read this verse. We're going to be reading a lot of the Bible today. I hope that's okay in church. <laughs> James chapter 4 says this in verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. When we make plans and operate the, the way that the world does, we are fools and do not understand the truth of how the world works. All that we have and all that we do should consider the Lord and his providence and authority over us. Everything that we have, we bring to God and ask him, what should we do? Everything that we say we're going to do, if the Lord wills, and I know some people take this, uh, take, get, get out of hand with this, and it's like, hey, I'll see you next week, and it's like, if the Lord wills, I'll see you, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm stepping on a few toes, it's all right. The example is this person who says, I'm going to go and do this with my life for the next year, and I'm going to make some money doing it, and I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, and they haven't considered God in their plans. They've considered what they want, and they've considered what they've decided to do, and they've left the Lord out. Why? Because this is my life, my time, my money, my plans. Lord, I didn't see your name on that paycheck that was written over. I didn't see you as a co-sponsor for this house. I didn't see you as a co-signer on my bank account. This is mine. And if we do not consider God in all of our financial decisions, then our default will be self-indulgence like the man in this parable. And self-indulgence, church as a use of your money 
will spiritually bankrupt your life, your walk with God. I'm going to say that again. Self-indulgence as a use of your money will spiritually bankrupt you. What does Jesus say here? Earthly riches do not mean godly riches. Earthly riches is not what matters in eternity. Earthly riches is not godly riches. One theologian put it this way, he said, wealth towards self is poverty towards God. Do you understand that many of you have dreams and ambitions that you have been working day and night towards, maybe for decades, for years, you have had one ambition, one single dream that you have been working towards, and it is that moment of self-indulgence, that moment that I can say, screw everybody else in this world and a boss and a job and everything. I will do what I want when I want. I am good now. And every day in the media, we hear story after story of the next billionaire, the next millionaire, multimillionaire, the next app, the next person who made it in Silicon Valley. At whatever age that they do it, that they were able to retire, they got this many millions after they sold their building, their, their business, their app. And we are told this is what you must do on TikTok, on Instagram. What do you see? Here's 10 side hustles so you can have financial freedom. And then late at night, at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, we're trying those side hustles, and our life is a mess. And we ask God, where are you when we have chosen our hustles over our relationship with him? Because we have bought into this reality of the world, that self-indulgence is the primary purpose why I live. That one day, to be able to do what I want, when I want, with my money on me. That is the day I live for. That is the day I long for. See, the truth is that Jesus tells us to guard against this type of lifestyle. And to guard against it means there is a continual attack from it. To realize that at never, at any moment are we safe from this life, that we have to actively fight and combat this lifestyle. This is not just an American thing. This sin has been going around the world over and over and over and over again. In every culture, in every place, sin manifests itself the same way. That is why in the Ten Commandments, thousands and thousands of years ago, we see in that final commandment, do not covet. Because this is part of the human condition. This is part of the sinful makeup. And so Jesus says, guard against this. Because it will try to enter. See, if your budget and your paycheck include no generosity, church, whether to others or to the work of God, then you cannot convince me that your confession of faith is true. If your life revolves around how to get money to spend it on yourself, then you cannot convince me your confession is true. That's the Lord calling. <laughs> he wants you to know. 
Listen up right now. <laughs> Jesus says it this way. He says, where your treasure is, so is your heart. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. Not because I like to tell other people it, but I like to tell myself it. Where your treasure is, so is your heart. If you have no treasure in the things of God, I cannot believe your heart is with him either. This is a hard reality check for many of us who have convinced ourselves our heart is in different places than our pocketbook shows it to be. We're going to read a bunch of verses together as we consider how to do what Jesus said and guard against greed. The Bible actually talks a lot about this. In the New Testament, it is the topic of choice. It is not heaven. It is not all of these other, what we would say, spiritual matters. It is the topic of money. And we often leave out money as a spiritual topic in our life, and we do ourselves wrong when we do that. And we have to realize that this topic is a spiritual topic. And we're going to start in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. And the question we're asking ourselves is, how do we guard ourselves against all types of covetedness? Timothy, Paul says this to Timothy, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. When Jesus ends this, he says that that person is a fool because they are not rich towards God. And Paul lays out, what does it mean to be rich towards God? So the question, how do we become rich towards God? We become generous with our money and rich in good works. Share. Share of our time and share of our resources. Whenever I tell my girls I have twins, and so whenever I tell Lexi she can have five minutes with a toy because Ellie wants it, Ellie looks at me and she says, Daddy, we have to share. She just wants that toy sooner rather than later. <laughs> Something as simple as that. Something that we try to ingrain in every child as they are raised in every schoolroom. Because the human condition is to hoard, is to say mine, is to keep everything for ourselves, to desire more. But the scriptures say here, the more you give away and share, the more you store up heavenly treasures. The more you release from your hands, the more you give, the more treasure you receive in eternity. Proverbs chapter 30. I could call out Tiffany on this one, her favorite verse on this topic says, two things I ask of you, the person writing this proverb writes, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you 
and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. If you spend your time and life seeking riches, you may be spending your time and your life seeking the very thing that condemns you. One thing that we see constantly in Israel, and if you're reading Deuteronomy, you've seen this and will see this before the end of the book, that the Lord prophesies to Israel that the great blessings that, they, that he has given them, these new vineyards that they didn't plant, these new cities that they didn't build, all of these great flocks and lands that they did not toil for, that one day they will grow fat and enjoy it. And that is a symbol of wealth. That one day they will look at God and say, what need do we have of you? We have all that we need. The land has given us plenty. The land has given us everything that we need, everything that we could want, and they will forget Yahweh. And that's exactly what happens. And so this, this person who is writing this proverb says, I don't want to be in that situation. And so many of us need to check our hearts, what we search for, what we desire, what we are running towards, what we are straining towards. Because the question is, is our very goal the thing that will one day condemn us and our heart away from God? In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10 and 11, everybody always reads 10 in church. It's our favorite verse, but we're going to continue and read chapter, uh, verse 11. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Everybody stops there. You're just going to have increase. You're going to have more, right? This is great American gospel right here. But in verse 11, we see why. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. See, wealth in itself is not evil. It is the love of it, and it is what we do with it. The only reason God riches his people materially is clear here. It is so that even if we become enriched, that we can be more generous and enrich others with our wealth. Now, here's the problem here. Many of us have said, if I, if I receive more, I will give more. It is oftentimes a lie that we tell ourselves. This starts here, church. He that is faithful with a little will be faithful in a lot. All right, I remember when I was 15 years old, at Resurrection, we had a big banquet. And we were celebrating our anniversary, and we, Resurrection does this thing called the Vision Fund. And every year we pledge how much we're going to give above our tithes and our offering to the Vision Fund. And I was a busboy at a restaurant at this time, and I had pledged $600 for the year above my tithes and offering, what I was going to give. That was a lot of money to me at the time. Uh, you know, that was a whole gaming system. That was a new computer. That was a lot. Uh, and so I had pledged that amount. And at the anniversary, there was a guest speaker that came in, and, and he was fundraising for the church and everything that we had wanted to accomplish for that year. 
And I don't know if you've ever been in uh, one of these Pentecostal fundraising sessions, but you don't leave the room until they raise the money. All right? <laughs> and uh, he, he just, he said, all right, this is the number. I don't remember what the number was. And whatever you want to give, whoever is going to give X amount or this amount, stand up and say you're going to give. And so you got people, I'm going to give 5,000. I'm going to give 10,000. I'm going to give 1,000. And I felt the Lord tugging on my heart to give, to pledge another $600. And I was like, Lord, that's like probably all. I only worked Friday nights and sometimes Saturday nights. Like that was probably six months of my money. I'm not going to do that. And the Lord said, no, I want you to be faithful in this. And so I said, all right, I'm, I'm going to do it. And I stood up and I said, $600, immediately regretted that statement, sat down. And I was like, maybe they don't know that I already pledged $600. So maybe I'm just reiterating my pledge. <laughs> maybe I just publicly declared what I already wrote down a few weeks ago. And I'm just struggling at that moment. All, it, that was a Saturday. We had this banquet. Uh, I'm coming in Sunday morning. I'm, I'm resolved. All right, I'm going to give the extra $600. That guest speaker that day, he goes, where's that little boy that pledged $600? <laughs> and I was like, it's me. I was on, this, on the production team at the time. And he says, I'm writing you a check for $600 today. And what I, I share that story because that taught me a lesson in the faithfulness of what God calls us to do. That it is not earthly logic when it comes to God. That my money is his, my time is his, my life is his. And so later on in life when God has asked me to give so much more than that. That was the story I remember, that God, you were faithful. Even when I was younger, even when I had less than I have now, and I gave a greater sacrifice than I have now. And I realized that my money is not for me. It's not so that my kids can be comfortable. It's not so that I can have all the latest things. It's not so that I can have every toy, that my Amazon cart can always be filled. It is so that I can be generous in every way. And if your hope of blessing for God is so that you can indulge in yourself and in your retirement, then you are not asking God for something that he will want to give you. But if your hope is to be generous, you will not have to ask for generosity. You will be generous today. God will see your heart. He will see your time. He will see what you do. And he will give. In Mark chapter 12, and I'll end with the scripture, verse 41, it says, And he sat down, Jesus, opposite the treasury, and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which made a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. What do you give to God? Do you give the leftover of your abundance? Or do you give sacrificially of all that you have? That is a question I wrestle with regularly. 
God, have I given to you out of my abundance or have I given to you sacrificially all that I have? The truth is, show me your bank account and I will show you your God. That is the reality of our life. Greed will always be knocking at the door. The only way to guard against it is to constantly be generous towards God's mission and those around you. Let us not fall into the trap of the prudent farmer who did not consider God and all he had accumulated. Instead, he only considered himself. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Can you stand with me and pray? Father, we thank you for your conviction today. Your hope is not condemnation that we run to you or away from you in shame. But Lord, that we can see the holes in our theology. That we can see the ways that we are the prudent farmer. That we have been living wise to the world, but we have lived in poverty towards you. Help us, God, to be rich towards you, even if it means poverty towards the world. Help us, God, to see your wisdom and your ways and not ours. Help us, God, to know that your ways are better and that you provide all that we need, all that we can ask or imagine. And that today the ask for some of us, it may be being generous for the first time,